You're listening to the free abridged edition of the Energy Transition Show. American coal. Nuclear energy. Natural gas. Hydro. Solar power. Wind turbines. We're becoming a monumental exporter of natural gas. This boom in the United States is not a bubble that's going away. The oil's still there. I'd rather pump it from another country and save ours, and then when the rest of the world runs out, hey, guess what? We can still turn on our lights. We've run into a problem where we have constraints, where there are limits now. The new phase we're going into related to the exhaustion of these resources, there's no replacement. This is a one-shot affair, and we're unprepared for it. Really, we do not have very much more time to get a handle on this problem. It's better to get to a renewable future, a sustainable future, sooner rather than later. Get there before we do the environmental damage, not after. For December 11th, 2019, this is the Energy Transition Show with Chris Nelder. Regular listeners to this show are certainly aware of the many advantages that electric vehicles have over their conventional petroleum-fueled counterparts. We covered the basics of EVs in Episode 15 with Matthew Klippenstein and some of the more high-level issues around the evolving mobility sector in Episode 96 with Debbie Hopkins. EVs are cheaper to refuel, or at least they can be if you refuel them slowly using what's called Level 1 or Level 2 chargers, delivering power at rates of 19 kilowatts or less. They're more sophisticated with built-in networks working, regenerative braking, sensors, apps, and other features that aren't always included in a vehicle powered by an internal combustion engine, which we sometimes call by the acronym ICE. EVs are quiet, smooth running, comfortable, agile, with faster acceleration, lower maintenance costs, and generally they offer a superior driving experience to an ICE. And as a result of these advantages, they're already cheaper to own than an equivalent ICE on a lifetime total cost of ownership basis. However, most people don't consider the total cost of ownership when they buy a car. They just look at the sticker price, which for most models in most parts of the world until about 2023 or so, will probably remain higher for an EV than an ICE. But what few people know is that an EV, when powered by renewables, has an absolutely massive energetic advantage over an ICE powered by oil. In fact, an EV powered by wind or solar delivers six to seven times as much mobility as a typical car powered by gasoline. Conversely, oil would need to sell for 10 to $20 a barrel in the long run for ICE cars to remain competitive with EVs running on renewables, a price that is far, far below the current break-even price for oil. Or so says the report we're going to discuss today, appropriately subtitled Death Toll for Petrol, which was authored by none other than our old friend Mark Lewis, who you'll remember from episodes 6 and 76. He launched his report a few months ago, and although it got some coverage, I didn't feel like its significance had really sunk in, so I decided we would have to have him back on the show. Then in the news segment, we'll note several interesting findings about changing investor appetites for fossil fuels and renewables. We'll take a look at a new hybrid power plant. We'll observe a startling bit of news about India's coal power sector, and will muse on the causes of the horrendous air quality in India and what that means for energy transition. And now our interview with Mark Lewis, recorded October 26th, 2019. So let's bring him back into the conversation now. Welcome back, Mark, to the Energy Transition Show. Thanks, Chris. Always a pleasure to be with you. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about your latest major report published in August titled Wells, Wires and Wheels, EROCI and the Tough Road Ahead for Oil. Right. And I guess I should disclose right off the bat that I was one of the people who did a technical review of the paper several months before it was published. So I'm not precisely a neutral observer here. <laughs> indeed, indeed. And your input, as ever, was extremely helpful and insightful. And thanks again for all of the help <laughs> in putting it together. 
Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, I thought it was an important piece of work and, and I was happy to help make a contribution to it. I kind of thought that the rest of the media, frankly, would get this message and run with it. And there was some coverage of it on Bloomberg and Forbes and a few other news outlets and podcasts. But frankly, I've been pretty dissatisfied with all of it. I think many of them sort of got the top level finding, but just skipped the detail. And overall, I don't think anybody really covered it properly. So I decided that we were going to have to have you back on the show for your third appearance and give it a proper energy transition show treatment. So shall we? Well, I'm <laughs> delighted you did. And I guess I would say you're right. I mean, there was some good coverage, but any piece of work where you put so much detailed effort into it and so many different layers of calculation, inevitably, it's difficult to do it full justice in the heat and speed of today's 24-7 media. So it's great to have the opportunity yeah. to go in. In our soundbite world. Right, right. So just to make sure we get the key insights across and don't follow into the same trap of just boiling this down to the simple calculation that EVs powered by renewables have an edge over petroleum-fueled vehicles. Let's start by having a look at your methodology. So how did you go about doing this analysis? Okay, well, the basic premise is very simple. I'd say how much useful energy can we buy for a given capital outlay when we're looking to compare the useful energy you can buy from petroleum used for road transportation with gasoline or diesel in a conventional internal combustion engine on the one hand versus $100 billion spent on new renewable energy capacity whose electricity generated would then be used in electric vehicles. And the key thing is you have to think through every step of the value chain. So effectively what you have to do with that $100 billion invested is think about Every step in the value chain where expenditure is incurred and every step in the value chain where energy is lost. And if you do that calculation thoroughly and rigorously, what you find is you get a very significantly better energy return from investing in renewables with the electricity used for electric vehicles than you do investing in petroleum, turning it into gasoline or diesel and using it for conventional vehicles. Okay, so you've started with what you're calling an EROCI, the energy return on capital invested. Right, exactly. Okay. Exactly. And what I then do is I say, okay, let's think about this very clearly. And it, I mean, it's not that complicated. You just have to think through every step of the chain. So one big difference, I mean, the key point here, Chris, is you do have to recognize upfront that the petroleum industry starts with a 100-year advantage, right? And that advantage manifests itself in the form of the sheer scale of the petroleum industry worldwide. So if I want to go out tomorrow and spend $100 billion on the spot market for oil, I can do that, right? The market is big enough to absorb that kind of expenditure. Yeah. If I want to go out and contract $100 billion worth of renewable electricity, that's a much, much tougher proposition because the market in any one location globally is almost certainly not going to be big enough for you to be able to buy that amount of electricity. There just isn't the scale there yet. So, the decision I made up front was to say, we'll give the oil industry the benefit of that accumulated scale over time. And what we'll say is, I spend $100 billion on the spot market with the price currently at $60 a barrel. 
But for the renewable part of it, I say I have to go out and with that 100 billion, I first of all have to build new capacity and get the electricity from that new capacity down. So the key difference is I'm making a big capital expenditure up front on new renewable capacity in a way that I'm not for oil because I'm just saying I can go to the oil market and buy $100 billion worth of oil. Now, of course, it's not as simple as that because when you spend $100 billion on oil or on renewable electricity, you have to take into account all of the other steps in the chain for getting the oil to the end consumer at the pump. And in the case of oil, if you go through all the stages, in fact, work it backwards is the easiest way to do this. So if you think about how much does the consumer pay at the pump for every dollar of oil spent, how much is going on the oil, how much is going on the transportation of the oil to the refinery, how much is going on the expenditure to refine crude oil into gasoline or diesel, and then transport the refined product to market, and then how much simply to market it. And then, of course, you pay taxes on the end product as well. So, Taking the numbers from the US Energy Information Administration, turns out US consumers at the moment are paying about, for every dollar they spend on gasoline or diesel at the pump, because it doesn't vary that much. So I took a blended average of gasoline and diesel prices at the pump using EIA data. Turns out for every dollar spent, only 53 cents is going on the energy in the crude oil itself. And then the remaining 47 cents cover the cost of the transportation, the refining, and the taxes you pay. The taxes are about 15 cents on the dollar. But the first startling conclusion is you're only spending a little over half of every dollar on the energy itself. The rest is spent on getting the energy to the pump one way or the other. Mm. So that's the first thing. And then at the same time, you have to take into account how much of the energy that you're buying actually makes it to the pump. And the interesting thing there is, and again, I don't think this is that widely understood, a barrel of gasoline, in fact, contains 10% less energy than a barrel of crude oil, whereas a barrel of diesel contains almost exactly the same amount of energy as a barrel of crude oil. So you're losing 10% of the actual energy when you refine crude oil into gasoline. So that reduces, again, the amount of energy that's actually getting to the pump for every dollar you spend. And then, of course, the killer with both gasoline and diesel, but especially gasoline, is the amount of energy you lose in the combustion process in your internal combustion engine. And what I took was a generic number for both of those. So for gasoline, I assume only 20% thermal efficiency, which I think is broadly that's going to be right for the cars that are on the road today globally. So you're losing 80% of the energy that you're getting to the pump in the form of waste heat. And in the case of diesel, I assumed a 35% efficiency rate. So you do get a better yield on diesel. You get almost twice as much useful energy, i.e. energy that actually moves the vehicle forward. In effect, what we're looking at here, Chris, is buying mobility, right? Right. So you get effectively twice as much mobility almost for the same expenditure when you're buying diesel as you do for buying gasoline. But in both cases, you're really not getting anything like 
the total amount of potential energy in $100 billion worth of the unrefined product. If you think how much energy is contained in $100 billion worth of crude oil before you have to go through the process of transporting it, refining it, distributing it, marketing it, etc., and how much you actually end up using in a useful way, in the case of gasoline, it's only about 10% with the oil priced at $60 a barrel. It's only 10% of the gross potential energy in $100 billion worth of barrels of crude oil that you are able to use usefully. And in the case of diesel, it's about 17 18%. So all that by way of saying $100 billion spent on oil for gasoline or diesel at $60 a barrel does not really give you a very high return in terms of the energy value on that capital invested. Okay, so before we move on to talking about the renewable side of this, because there's some factors and steps to take into account there as well, right. I want to talk about the relationship of the dollar value here, because it seems to me that right. what you were just describing there is basically a chain of energetic losses, which are going to be the same at any amount of expenditure, right? So right. why is it important to think about this in terms of $100 billion of spending when you could just as easily think about it in terms of $1? Or why right. is it important to think about it in terms of at $60 a barrel? Right. Well, for a start, $60 a barrel is where the market is today, right? Right. But the energetic losses that you just discussed are going to be the same at any price. Sure. But remember, what we're comparing here is we're comparing the useful energy yielded from $100 billion spent on oil on the one hand and on new renewable capacity on the other. And to get a fair comparison, we need to know what the price of oil is. You know, if the price of oil was $10 a barrel for that $100 billion, you would get a larger return. Right. So that's why we're using $100 billion rather than $1, because number one, this is an extremely capital-intensive industry. And number two, you need a large enough number to compare so that we can see what the total amount of useful energy yielded is from the same investment on oil on the one hand and on renewable electricity on the other. So it's not just the energetic losses, although that's a crucial part of the equation. It's also to show how oil priced at different levels will clearly yield you a differing amount of useful energy. And the ultimate purpose of this paper, I don't want to jump the gun and get to the ultimate conclusion too early in the show, but <laughs> the ultimate headline, if you like, of the report is that given that we get a much higher energy return on capital invested with oil priced at $60 a barrel from spending the same amount of money on new renewable capacity, the interesting question then becomes, well, what's the price oil would need to fall to for gasoline and diesel to remain competitive? And that was really why the $60 a barrel, the current market price, in fact, it's a bit lower now than it was when I published the piece two months ago. Mm. That's why the price level is important. Okay. And the $100 billion, again, is important because that's a meaningful amount of spending in the energy industry. And I think sort of important Applied, but not directly stated in your paper here is that $100 billion is an amount that can focus the attention of executives in the oil industry, right? It's the kind of numbers exactly. they think about when they think about their capital planning, when they think about their balance going forward. That's exactly right. I mean, absolutely. You know, when you think about how much the likes of Shell, Exxon, Chevron are spending every year, 
you're talking about tens of billions of dollars between 30 and 50 billion dollars a year when you're talking about the oil super majors. So these mm. are the kinds of numbers we talk about. And if you think about equally how much money was invested in new renewable capacity in 2018, I think the number there is close to $250 billion. So okay. we're in the ballpark here are the kinds of numbers that energy executives think in. Yeah. Okay, good. Thank you for going on that little excursion into the dollars <laughs> with me. But let's return to the energetic analysis. So we right. talked through the energetic losses on the oil side. Let's talk right. through the energetic losses on the renewable side. Okay. So the first thing to say there, as I mentioned earlier, is that we're building new capacity. So for $100 billion, you have to, again, work it backwards. I'm at the charging point in this case, rather than at the pump, where I plug the charger into the car to charge the battery. And I think back, okay, for $100 billion, how much electricity, first of all, is going into the car? And then subsequently, how much useful energy do I get out of it? Mm. So we have to think through all the stages that the $100 billion investment has to cover in order to get the electricity there. We hope you've enjoyed this free sample of the Energy Transition Show. Our full episodes cover much more and are generally at least an hour long. In addition to two full new episodes each month, subscribers can also view interactive transcripts of our interviews and explore our extensive show notes with links to all of the research resources and news items for each episode. Our subscription podcast works in all podcast apps and players, including iTunes, and is downloadable. The first 33 episodes of the Energy Transition Show were free and always will be, so if you want to see what our full shows contain, feel free to check those out. Then we hope you'll become a member and support our show. In order to bring you the most unfiltered, unbiased, honest information we can produce, we have elected not to take any sponsors or advertisers. 100% of the revenue that makes the Energy Transition Show possible comes from listener subscriptions. To become a subscriber and enjoy our full offerings, just point your browser to energytransitionshow.com and click the Become a Member button. There are several ways to become a subscriber. Annual subscriptions, which include full access to our entire back catalog of full-length episodes, are just $60 a year or $5 a month. Monthly subscriptions are just $6.99 a month and give you access to the two most recent episodes. Single episodes can be purchased for $7 each. We also offer half-priced annual subscriptions for universities. Students can purchase individual subscriptions, or professors can purchase bulk subscriptions for their classes. Numerous educators now use the Energy Transition Show as coursework, and their testimonials are available on request. And finally, we offer site licenses with group discounts on annual subscriptions for all members of institutions, such as corporations, nonprofits, and universities. So join us today and support our ad-free, hormone-free, organic, handcrafted, artisanal podcast featuring high-quality, cutting-edge interviews and news about the most important story of our time, energy transition. And now a quick look at some recent news items. Item 1. Following a joint statement issued by its finance ministers, the EU's investment arm, the European Investment Bank, agreed on November 14th to phase out financing for fossil fuels within the next two years and become the world's first climate bank. The bank will end its financing of oil, gas, and coal projects after 2021, making it the first multilateral lender to rule out financing for projects that contribute to climate change. Quote, climate is the top issue on the political agenda of our time. We will stop financing financing fossil fuels and launch the most ambitious climate investment strategy of any public financial institution anywhere, said the bank's president, Werner Hoyer.
The EIB funded nearly 2 billion euros, or 2.1 billion dollars, of fossil fuel projects last year, and since 2013 has poured 13.4 billion euros, or 14.8 billion dollars, into such projects. As the world's largest multilateral financial institution, the EIB plays a leadership role in the financial industry, and this move sets an important example that other banks are likely to follow, which, as we discussed with Mark today, will only increase the difficulty of financing future oil and gas exploration. Item 2. As further evidence that hybrid renewable power plants are becoming more common, even when the components aren't actually cited together, Microsoft announced on September 24th that it has signed a long-term PPA for power from two projects being built by Angie in Texas, the 200-megawatt Las Lomas Wind Projects and the 200-megawatt Anson Solar Center. Well, that's it for this episode of the Energy Transition Show. Thanks for listening. You can find our show archive and give us feedback and suggestions at energytransitionshow.com and follow us on Twitter at Transition Show. Our theme music was by Mike Sugar and Mark Burnfield, who you can find online at mikesugarmusic.com. The Energy Transition Show is a production of the XE Network.